get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, Dustin Fuse, and I are recording this podcast on Wednesday, October 2nd. I hate to start a show on a depressing note, but you forwarded to me this story out of USA Today about, well, do you want to explain about this Universal team member? Yeah, so it's it's everywhere. It's on every sort of uh, local and national um just it's everywhere you can't avoid it so Mm -hmm. what's happened is there was a universal team member who was fired because during a meet and greet at the the lowe's uh royal pacific resort they were dressed as Gru. so they were friends with Gru, portraying Gru during um and that's despicable me uh while working at a character breakfast yeah so this was back march 23rd Mm mm-hmm we don't know. We're, we're going to classify him as an idiot at this point. That it works. Kind of, that okay. works. He basically went ahead and deliberately formed the OK symbol with his fingers on his right hand while on the left shoulder of a seven-year-old autistic biracial girl. Now, for those of you who don't know, the OK symbol, especially in situations like this, takes on a weird racial connotation. It evidently... Uh, if you hold the index finger and the thumb in a certain way, it forms a P. And if you extend the other three fingers out, it forms a W, which somehow in today's world, that's now perceived as a symbol for white power. And, ugh, you know. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, an awkward thing. And I think one of the, the comments that we've seen online was the fact of, oh, it was a mistake. It was something like that. We, and actually, you, you brought up a really good uh, parallel with mm. this, you know, idea of, oh, this was a mistake. Mm. This well, that's what I initially thought. It like somebody's misinterpreting. We live in very sensitive times. And I don't know how many of you remember... April of 2004, where there was a Disney cast member who was actually arrested. They played Tigger in the parks, and this 13-year-old girl and her mom went to guest relations and said that they had been groped in a meet and greet at at one of the Disney parks. And Disney reached out to the Orange County Sheriff, and they took this cast member away. And it wasn't till august right this actually made it to court dustin and yeah august it looks like it was updated august 4th 2004 right and i remember uh from the court case you know because disney didn't want tigger to be in court but they wanted to show how this costume it was very difficult to see inside of it uh, to see what you where your hands are placed or that sort of thing they actually you know, the, the costuming department of Walt Disney World painted a Tigger outfit solid black and then put a performer in it in court and just explained that, you know, through these eyes, through, you know, the, where the eyes are positioned in this head, this is all I can see. And so, you know, if I accidentally touched this 13-year-old girl in an inappropriate way, it was unintentional. So that case got dismissed, whereas this family at this character breakfast at Lowe's Royal Pacific Hotel, they have a cell phone video of their daughter meeting with Gru and a minion. And will you describe it, Dustin? 
It was a conscious decision mm-hmm. by this team member, the person who was portraying Gru, to change from putting their hand on the shoulder to all of a sudden putting this symbol up. It You can actually tell because the character goes from hand on shoulder to you can see the, the conscious decision of just putting the symbol out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that was where everyone has decided that there's accidents mm-hmm. and then this was not an accident which no. is why universal orlando resort mm-hmm. took the appropriate response mm-hmm. and fired the individual and more to the point that they released this statement uh, this is tom schroeder the, the vp of communications put it out we never want our guests to experience what this family did this is not acceptable and we are sorry and we are taking steps to make sure nothing like this happens again We can't discuss specifics of the incident, but we can confirm that the actor no longer works here. We will remain in contact with the family and we'll work with them privately to make this right. I'm glad to be able to share that part of the story, but jeez. I mean, think about how families save for years Mm -hmm. to have this sort of vacation experience in Orlando and some bozo in a suit thinks, well, I'm going to be funny, cute, or edgy, or slip something in here and... I think the USA Today story was talking about the fact that here's the little girl who wants to take the photos of her time with Gruen for show and tell. And the family's like, no, no, can't do that. So, yeah, uh, kind of breaks your heart. Let's go from real life monsters in today's world to make believe monsters who thankfully only live on the big screen or in theme park attractions. And I'm, of course, talking about all the dinosaurs found in the Jurassic World films. Is it just me, Dustin, or is like NBC Universal working overtime right now to keep the Jurassic World franchise front of mind? Well, first of all, did you see Battle at Big Rock, the film that debuted on FX last week and I guess now is available for downloading on JurassicWorld.com? Yeah, it was it was breathtaking. It was something that when you said you need to watch this, I was like, oh, okay. And it, it was something that, you know, just my recommendation for anyone, just check it out online. Mm-hmm. And that way you'll know what we're talking about and why it's so impactful within the universe. And without giving too much away, I wonder how many little girls are gonna ask for crossbows for Christmas this year. <laughs> so that arrives. And and let's remember, we are 20 months out from Jurassic World 3. And yet we just had news drop earlier this week about folks from the Jurassic Park films who are coming back for Jurassic World 3. And it was it was really fun to see how they made the announcement. Colin Trevorrow was talking with Laura Dern on stage and basically said, you know, it would be really great if I got a chance to come back, but I want to bring my friends with me. So it was it was really fun to see the idea of not just Jeff Goldblum, because he made an appearance on the last mm-hmm. Fallen Kingdom. Exactly. And now Sam Neill, who they've all kind of interspersed in the Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World franchise. Like Sam Neill was in the third one, yep. which most people don't remember Jurassic Park 3. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is go to the bargain bin at Walmart. No. Um, <laughs> and then you have the idea that these characters are being brought back into a world that they helped create, but also helped destroy. It'll be fun. You were just pointing out that it's not just Sam and Laura and and Jeff that are coming back, but the the kids? Yeah, so according to reports, 
Joseph Mazzello and Ariana Richards. Mm. Most people won't know them by name, but they will definitely remember the the kids mm-hmm. from the original Jurassic Park, Lex and Tim. Mm-hmm. And there's been talk about bringing them back as well. Now, granted, they're no longer kids to the extent that Lex actually just celebrated, or Ariana Richards just celebrated her 40th birthday. Thanks for making me feel old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be interesting to see who else they can bring back. Mm-hmm into Jurassic World 3 and how they're going to kind of adapt this other world, other Jurassic Park, into this uh, this uh, cast. Now, uh, speaking of adapting the you know, Jurassic World, a brand new Jurassic World-based enterprise is, is, has been launched out into the world, and this is the Jurassic World Live Tour, which uh, had its premiere at the Schottenstein Arena in Columbus, Ohio, uh, late last month. And this one, I have to say, Dustin, fascinates me because it's a collaboration between Universal Brand Development Mm -hmm. and Feld Entertainment. Now, uh, you were just talking about Feld is doing this with Universal because of its relationship with Disney. How many different shows did they do for, um, you know? Well, we were going through. So it's, uh, they've got Monster Jam. They've got Disney on Ice. Mm-hmm. They've got Disney Live, Marvel Universe Live, Sesame Street Live, mm-hmm. Trolls Experience. But most people don't remember. And mm-hmm. if you do, all the power to you. Um, Feld was behind the Ringling Brothers Circus. Yeah. So it's it's a weird little, like, going back in time to see how this... Mm-hmm company has basically owned and operated this arena show playground for such a long time that you know the things that they're producing right now Mm -hmm. they used to do other things yeah when they got out of the circus business all of these arenas suddenly had holes in their schedules and Mm -hmm. the feld organization had all of these employees that they needed projects to work on so the way they described the show it features a herd of life-size dinosaurs some of them 40 feet long They'll be coming to life through a mix of sophisticated animatronics and performer-operated suits, which... I'm sorry, Dustin, that sounds very familiar to me. Like, say, Walking with Dinosaurs, the arena show? Familiar? Yeah, it's um, all you have to do is go on on YouTube and do a little little search and you'll be like, oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that show dates all the way back... The very first one uh, originated in Australia back in January of 2007, and as recently as December of last year, 2018. Yeah, Yeah, they were in the SSE Arena at Wembley in in London. So Walking with Dinosaurs is still a thing, still out there. Mm -hmm. And here comes Jurassic World Live Tour. Thanks to the use of a state-of-the-art projection map system, If you're attending a presentation of Jurassic World live tour, it'll feel like you're right there on Ila Nubar. So I'm hoping that we have some Universal Joint listeners out there who managed to make it to the show. Because as we're recording this, uh, the show's now at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland, Ohio. It then Mm -hmm. leaves for there for the Times Union Center in Albany, it's it's uh, there October 10th through the 13th, and then continues on to Buffalo, and late October, it's at the PPG Paints Arena in 
in Pittsburgh. So mm-hmm. we've already had a pretty crazy year, Jurassic World ride-wise. Yeah. We had the Jurassic World the ride open at Universal Studios Hollywood. I think you were the one who came across that trademark for the Velocicoaster, the new thrill ride that that's already under construction at Islands of Adventure, or you know, right down by the waterfront there by the lagoon, but. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to see that um, in about a month. But it's it's interesting walking through that area, and you know all the the folks who are incredibly good at documenting construction have done, especially over on YouTube. They've done a great job of just showcasing the different angles and the different uh, construction speeds where there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes mm-hmm. before something like this can go vertical. And we're seeing that actually on the the West Coast and where there's really nothing to talk about until we start hearing things through uh, official channels. But the um, the Nintendo stuff going vertical in the back lot right now, it's just one of those things where you look and you're like, oh, there is a structure coming to life right in front of us. And folks who are who work team members who work at a universal uh studios hollywood are like yeah it's been ongoing for a number of years now mm-hmm. and it's because there's so much planning that goes into it so oh, oh, absolutely we still don't know what's going to happen with uh the velocicoaster but as soon as universal flicks that switch mm-hmm. and says here's everything here's the pov that we've come up with on the computer here's the wording here's how we're going to describe the ride vehicles It'll be fun to see how Jurassic Park can compete with Jurassic World in that same section, or if they just call it all Jurassic World. Yeah, we still don't know about whether or not that rebranding of this specific land of Jurassic uh, or or Islands Adventure is in the work. And and again, again, the irony is that if we look ahead to 2020, we have Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, that animated series for Netflix. And I wonder, Dustin, as we stand here and see all this stuff coming at us, by the time June 2021 rolls around and we finally, you know, Jurassic World has arrived in theaters, is all of this stuff going to have wet our appetite or are we going to be like, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm full. I don't actually need to see your movie. I've seen so much Jurassic World stuff at this point that, let me guess, the dinosaurs eat somebody. You know. <laughs> so Speaking of looking ahead to the future, we have talked repeatedly uh, about the Epic Universe, the Universal Orlando's fourth theme park. Which, based on what the uh, Orlando Business Journal just reported, I guess... Got a little bit bigger, right? They did a land purchase, is that correct, over the last couple of days? Or? Yeah, so it looks like a new permit was filed with the state to show that Universal is preparing for stormwater needs of the future theme mm-hmm. park site. We're building a theme park in Florida. Stuff mm-hmm. like that happens. Okay. But what they're doing is Orange County is working with Universal to fund an estimated 250 to $300 million mm-hmm. on a 1.7-mile extension of Kirkman Road between Carrier Drive and Universal Boulevard. So this will have nine travel lanes, two dedicated bus lanes. That's honestly not a surprise given what they've got set up from the, again, it's, what are they calling the the, the, the main part of the, yep. it's North Campus, right? North Campus. And then middle Mid Campus or Middle Campus. Uh, but yeah, they use the buses to take for folks from the North Campus, the 
the main resort mm-hmm. with City Walk and Islands and uh, Studios over to Endless Summer. And again, I keep hearing from folks who are staying at Endless Summer that it takes them less time from the transportation hub to get back to their hotel. A lot of these folks have tried Cabana Bay. And they're like, I'm getting back to my hotel room faster at Endless Summer on the other side of of I-4 than it took me to get back to Cabana Bay. But what was interesting is this next thing. So the the two dedicated bus lanes, that makes sense. Mm. But bike lanes? Well, again, this is, you know, we live in a green world and you can actually go to the website. Universal is green. This is how you earn those tax credits. Now, uh, (laughs) pivoting back, you know, okay, so that's work that's being done now. There's no solid info yet on an opening date for the fourth park, but it's bubbled up from a couple of different sources. The 2024 looks quite likely. And so the, the question then is, well, what's, what's in park four? What ride shows and attractions are in the mix? And a couple of times now we've heard that how to train your dragon, that, that there's going to be a how to train your dragon land in Epic yep. Universe. And that sounded like a great idea till How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World came out this past summer, Dustin, which I don't know if you got to saw it, uh, see it during its, its run in the theaters. It's, it's recently come out on Blu-ray and DVD. But that movie ends with all of the dragons leaving Burke and, and literally going to the, the Hidden World, which is this. It can only be accessed through this, this hole in the ocean that then takes you into this dragon-friendly cave space at the center of the earth. And that does kind of put you in an interesting spot if you're somebody who's working at Universal Creative because it's like, okay, there are no dragons left in the world. How do we build, you know, an exciting time about going to Burke if there are no dragons left? And you tripped over an interesting copyright that I think kind of explains that. Yeah, so it's a, a DreamWorks How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming. So when we did that, uh, the deep dive under Homecoming, and apparently it's been discussed a, a, a little bit over the last uh, few months, but How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming is an upcoming holiday special. Mm-hmm. It'll be released in late 2019. It actually goes back to February 12th of 2019 when Jay Baruchel dropped that there is a hint of a holiday short mm-hmm. in an Instagram story. So it was basically an eight-second clip of him in the sound booth recording lines about a, a Snaggletog uh, pageant. And then in uh, June of 2019, at the Annecy Film Festival, there was a confirmation that a holiday special was coming to fans. Dean DeBlas, mm-hmm. uh, he talked about all this information coming out, but the interview was in French. But the English translation was a part from perhaps a special episode for the holiday season, there is, to my knowledge, no other project in development. You have your How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming. And mm-hmm. I can't really get into great detail here, but if you folks understand that the conceit of the wizarding world of, of Harry Potter is that if, if when you, you walk through the arch and enter Hogsmeade Village, or when you go through the wall there and you're in Diagon Alley, you're there the one day that uh, these are open to muggles. In fact, that's the the whole story behind that sign in Hogsmeade Village about mind the spell limit. Yes. If you somehow do the wrong bit of magic in the Wizarding World, 
it will revert back to the old version of the Lost Continent with the Royal Oak Tavern and Merlin Wood. So don't do that, folks. That would be bad. Although we would get the Dueling Dragons back. Well, that's an interesting point. (laughs) But speaking of dragons, supposedly the conceit with the version of Burke that they're going to be building at Epic Universe is the notion of, yes, the dragons have gone off to the Hidden World, but sometimes some of them come back to visit with us. In fact, that's kind of the workaround. Remember, if any of you who saw The Hidden World, when the movie starts, Burke has been overrun with dragons. There were literally hundreds of them there. Just replicating that's just not going to be physically possible in a theme park environment. But if you if you happen to be there and say, well, oh, a couple of them came back. Hey, would you like to get your picture taken with Toothless or his friends? I'm, they're right here. <laughs> Please buy merch. Please. Here's some merch. Have fun. And speaking of, of things coming back, when we get back from this commercial break, we are going to have something truly special for all of you Halloween horror fans out there. I know that when people do Halloween Horror Nights at the Universal Orlando Resort, they tend to concentrate on the mazes and the scare zones inside of Universal Studios uh, Florida, which is understandable. They're great. They, they do some wonderful work there. But I'm going to make a weird suggestion, folks. If you do this year's event, especially if you're a Stranger Things fan, you have to make plans to get over to the Cabana Bay Resort. Dustin, have you heard about what they're doing over there? Yeah, I am incredibly excited for it. It looks like what they're doing is bringing Stranger Things into a a themed pop-up at the resort. Mm -hmm. So you can get your picture taken with, what is it? So it's in the buyer's family room, which is great. Well, if you remember from the first season of the show, where the mom was, was basically communicating with the son through Christmas lights that were on top of pieces of paper with ABCD and numbers and that sort of thing. But they've replicated the living room. You can actually sit on the couch as the Christmas lights behind you, you know, I think spell out happy Halloween horror nights or something to that effect. If on the other hand, you're a fan of the third season, you can actually get behind the counter at the Scoops Ahoy, that cheesy ice cream parlor that was in the mall. I've seen some of the photos from this and oh my God, this is hilarious. This is just great. Yeah, that hat is that does not work for most heads. <laughs> anyway, speaking of food, if you're and forgive me, this is just too good a piece of PR writing not to use. Okay. If you're up for late bites after a night full of frights, you should head over to the Cabana Bay Bayliner Diner, the food court there at, at this this moderate resort. Because what's interesting on the nights that Halloween Horror Nights is being held, they're holding Bayliner Diner open. Till it, it sort of keys off of when the event closes. Sometimes it stays open to two. Sometimes it stays open to three. You can head over there and, you know, hang out with your pals and look back on the evening that you've just been at Halloween Horror Nights while, while getting something to eat. That was really funny with the, the four late bites. Yes. After a night, a night full of... That's, you know, $10 right there. Whoever, whoever created that is just like, good on you, PR. All right. Now, speaking of Halloween Horror Nights... Folks, do Dustin and I have a trick-or-treat for you this time? Given that this is the 29th year that uh, this hard-ticket event has been presented at the Universal Orlando Resort, well, I thought you folks might want to know what was it like to be at the very first event 
which was held back in October of 1991. So I got on the phone earlier this week with a very good friend, and, well, here's a, a recording of that call. Mr. Schneider, always a pleasure to talk with you. I always learn so much about theme park history whenever we chat. I think I was going to say exactly the same to you. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. Well, Ron, let, let's just jump into it now. Okay, so the very first Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Florida, again, I keep getting that name wrong here. Uh, very first one, one was called Fright Nights, right? And yep. uh, held during the uh, theme park's second year of operation, 1991, rather than the fall of 1990, uh, which was, of course, right after uh, Universal Studios Florida first opened uh, in, in June of that year. So why did they, they wait a year for the first Halloween event? Well, the park uh, operations uh, had their hands full just getting the park up and running. Uh -huh. uh, the, uh, as everybody seems to know, the opening day, uh, most of the major attractions were not working reliably. Uh -huh. uh, they had a lot of dissatisfied guests and a long line outside of guest relations asking for refunds. Everybody got free tickets so they could come back a second time. Uh -huh. uh, the, uh, the, uh, the thing that I was... Uh, creative supervisor for the celebrity lookalikes, and my people were out on the streets and uh, and having a ball. We were, well, speaking of which, I, we were left alone. It's the summer of 91, I think you said it was July, and you get a call from somebody high up in MCA Recreation, the folks who are, are in charge of the Universal theme parks. Who is that you talked with? Uh, my mentor, Neil Miller, was the head of entertainment for Universal Studios Florida at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I got called away from my trailer, or I was a creative supervisor of the Celebrity Lookalikes, mm -hmm. and he said, we're going to do a Halloween event for three nights, and we need a couple of shows written. And uh, he knew that I had a background in theme parks, mm -hmm. and so he asked me to uh, if I could come in and, and become, uh, for, the, for the time being, I was going to become a kind of staff writer for the Halloween project. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did, uh, I did some banners for New York area, and I was going to contribute to some dialogue for the Haunted House mm -hmm. uh, that was going to be in the Jaws queue. Uh, and there were two um, uh, show ideas that had been handed down from Jay Stein, the president of MCA, that he wanted something uh, over at the Bates Motel. The Bates Motel at that time was right next to uh, the Hard Rock Cafe, and he mm -hmm. wanted something in a little space between the Bates uh, Hotel building and uh, the and, uh, Hard Rock, that there was a little open space there by a sidewalk, and he wanted to have a graveyard with celebrity headstones there, and he wanted to have like a guided tour there, mm -hmm. and they wanted uh, something along the lines of a chainsaw massacre in New York, and mm -hmm. those are the two assignments I got. This is July. You have three months to deliver this, and you do have you know a couple of, of aces. As you mentioned, you know you had the Bates Motel, which, you know, kind of interesting, they had built both the Psycho House, a recreation of the Psycho House. In fact, I, I remember, didn't they have to, you know, because this when they bought the, the Universal Studios property, it was ridiculously flat, so they had to mound up all of this earth just to create a hill to put the Psycho House on. And then uh, below the Psycho House, they then built the Bates Motel, and this was used, I want to say, in 1990 to film uh, Psycho 4, right? Um, That's right. This yeah. was set for Psycho 4. Okay. So, all right, you've got those to work with. You, you know, you, you've got these physical plants. And, but, again, you, you mentioned that, you know, what Jay had in mind 
was, you know, uh, you know, sort of a celebrity graveyard off to the side. So you do a first pass, you send that out to to Hollywood, and what happens? Uh, well, my idea was to, uh, I went out and, and uh, scoped out the area. Mm -hmm. And this little sidewalk area, we had capacity for maybe 40 people. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a little uh, area that we could do a graveyard. I thought, hey, I'll stick Beetlejuice out there talking about the graves. That'll be funny. Mm -hmm. And if you look straight up, in front of you, there was the Bates Mansion looming on the hill in front of us. Mm -hmm. And I thought, uh, I needed some kind of big finish for this thing. So I thought, I'll run a cable mm -hmm. from Mother's Window on the front of the building uh, down behind the crowd. And uh, the, for the finale of the thing, I'll have a dummy of Mother Bates come sliding down the, the, the cable. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe put a tape recorder in with the sound of screams mm -hmm. and send that sailing over the audience's head and give them a nice fright. Uh, so I put this together in a treatment, and I mm -hmm. sent it off to Neil Miller, and he sent it off to Jay Stein, and he came back with the note, this is fine, make it bigger. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, let's uh, maybe we could uh, dig a hole and have uh, uh, Elvis Presley mm -hmm. come crawling up out of the ground, a decomposed Elvis, and he would sing uh, the Heartbreak Hotel, except he changed the lyrics to the Bates Motel, and make it a song that would be a commercial for the motel. And uh, so I turned, turned that in to Neil, and Neil sent it to Jay, and Jay came back with uh, Make It Bigger. And so I was looking around for a way to make this thing as big as possible, mm -hmm. and finally I went back to Neil and I said, look, can I have the whole motel? Mm -hmm. Can I have uh, the parking lots? Can we move the show out in front of the hotel? We could put a great big graveyard there, mm -hmm. and I could put a couple of uh, other show elements in there. You know, we had... We were sticking the Blues Brothers and everything because they were such a strong attraction. Mm -hmm. And we had a wonderful uh, pair of guys with Dan Meisner and Keith Kobe who were just flawless at the Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, let me put this in the show. And he didn't even bother sending it to Jay. Neil said, let's do this. So uh, I, uh, I started thinking as big as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, uh, this is the way that the show started. This was never intended to be a performance area. This was a movie set, you know, for, again, for Psycho 4, and you had the Psycho house in the background. So, you know, it's one thing when you set up a venue for shows that are going to happen all the time, but for something like this that's only supposed to happen for three nights, I mean, you had the schlep in, what, temporary uh, bleachers that were then set up in front of the, the Bates Motel. I, likewise, you're kind of in a... Uh, Hippocratic Oath situation, you know, in that, you know, the the old, you know, first do no harm, because, you know, once this event is over, the Bates Motel still has to be in place for guests to be able to see it when they come and visit Universal Studios Florida. But but you made two very interesting requests of, of the folks at the park in regard to, to graves in front of the, of the Bates Motel. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, one of the ideas I had was that uh, Beetlejuice would, of course, make his appearance coming out of the ground, mm -hmm. and I wanted to do something with a chainsaw-wielding maniac that we would kill several times, and the last time I wanted to blow him up, mm -hmm. so we really finished him off good. Mm -hmm. So I went to the people who were in charge of the ground and all the technical things, mm -hmm. and I made all sorts of demands, like you say, for lighting and sound effects and, mm -hmm. and staging, and uh, I said, listen, uh, can I have two tunnels? that will run from inside the motel down to right in front of the audience. Uh, actually, it was one tunnel that kind of branched off into a second grave, but there were two open graves in front of the audience. They couldn't see, uh, see down into them. 
went out there and just turned that motel into a performance venue like you think. Wow. And did you have a new boss at that point? I, I want to say Ron Bensian? Yeah, Ron was going to be groomed as the new president of MCA Attractions at the mm-hmm. time. I think that's what was going on. Uh, Ron was actually my, my boss back when I was a Universal Tour Guide in 1976 in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, uh, here he is sitting on the bleachers next to me mm-hmm. at one of the final dress performances. And uh, Ron had the, the temperament of a Universal executive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and not, not a lot of smiles from mm-hmm. Ron. Uh, and so he speaks over to me. We're watching the show mm-hmm. with Norman Bates and all the characters, all the jokes about Psycho. And he leans over and says to me, you know, nobody's going to get this. Nobody nobody remembers who Norman Bates was. And I said, Ron, uh, a half a mile from here, mm-hmm. we've got the Alfred Hitchcock Art of Making Movies attraction, which is entirely built around Norman Bates. And the Psycho film, I, I think that this thing might go over well, <laughs> uh, as indeed it did. It says so much about this show that you know, here we are, some 28 years later, and we're still talking about this thing. Can you can you sort of do a Reader's Digest version of of what this this you know initial graveyard review was like? Uh, glad to. The, um, the thing that I've always believed about theme parks is you deal creatively with what your operational realities are. So mm-hmm. whatever you take, whatever you've got that's that's there, mm-hmm. you embrace it creatively. And so I had the Blues Brothers. I had the Bates Motel. I had a wonderful actor named Paul Sanders who looked a lot like Anthony Perkins. And um, I just used the resources that we had. So it started with the Bluesmobile comes wheeling around from the back of the motel. Uh, Jake and Elwood are in the driver's seat, but, of course, they're broken down, as always happens in these situations. So the car is being pushed by their two backup singers, two beautiful girls in high heels and tight black dresses. They're pushing the car along. They come in. Jake and Elwood uh, knock on the door of the motel. They need a place to stay for the night. Uh, Norman Bates comes out, and uh, the boys uh, give him a hard time. Uh, They want rooms, but uh, 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 Norman uh, puts the girls in room number one. He puts the Blues Brothers in room number two, which is not what the Blues Brothers have in mind, but, you know, we have to keep Mother happy. Uh And uh, there's a third uh, room filled, uh, the room between them, uh, room number two is where we have our chainsaw-wielding maniac who's blasting heavy metal music and disrupting everything. Uh, Norman comes out after everyone's checked into their rooms and welcomes the audience and uh, points out that they have set up a graveyard in the parking lot in front of the Bates Motel, and we call this our uh, Just Say No graveyard. It's filled with the headstones of rock and rollers who didn't know when to say when. So we've got, uh, we had actually, we had a uh, John Belushi graveyard there, and we had... Uh, uh, anybody who uh, Keith Moon, anybody who uh, OD'd or died ignominiously, was on a, he had a gag graveyard uh, set up there. And Beetlejuice comes up out of the ground and introduces himself. He gives uh, Norman a hard time and shows everybody around the different uh, graves. Uh, he gets uh, Elvis Presley, crawls up out of the ground, and uh, sings, uh, Well, since my life has ended, I need a new place to dwell. It's out of the stairs with Mama Bates at the Bates Motel. And uh, we do a whole commercial there. Uh, Mother Bates comes out to deliver towels to the girls in uh, room number one. Of course, uh, it's Norman dressed up as Mother Bates. And actually, we got to use the costume. 
to tell him to turn down the music. Uh, we wind up, and Norman takes a knife and stabs the guy into the chest several times. Big bloodbath comes out, and uh, that's the first time we kill him. Uh, second time is when the Blues Brothers go out to do a concert for the people in the parking lot, because they're doing that in lieu of paying uh, for their rooms. And uh, But as they start to sing, um, the music blasts up again from room number two, and uh, Jake takes a shotgun and uh, blows the guy away a second time. Again, big explosion bullet bag, and uh, he gets back in his room. The Blues Brothers do a couple of numbers, uh, and we have the, um, the two girls that came with them are dancing back up, and I had Mother Bates, she hears the gunshot, she comes out and uh, watches this. She sees the two girls dancing and gets caught up in it, winds up uh, singing and dancing back up with the Blues Brothers, which is my favorite gag in the whole show. Oh, and uh, the uh, Blues Brothers finish, and as they finish, the, blue, the Chainsaw Maniac comes back a third time, this time attacking the audience with a chainsaw, threatening the audience with a chainsaw. So they trick him into getting over to one of the grave, uh, graves. They uh, push him in, and we had a massive uh, gas generator behind the headstone, and there was a beautiful explosion. Uh, Beatles just throws a stick of dynamite in and says, it's showtime. And there's a massive explosion. That was the end of the show. You guys were basically forced. I mean, it was a, a three-performance schedule per night schedule, as I remember, and you were forced because the line was so long and there was such demand to add a fourth show that night, right? Oh, yeah. Here's the show that people are going absolutely nuts over, that you worked so hard on, Ron, and yet you never got to see it with an audience. And can, can you explain why? Well, I saw the first performance. Like, oh, okay. i, I got to say that. Mm -hmm. But... Um, the, uh, over in the New York area, we had a show uh, with Tuxosaurus, and um, they needed someone to narrate that, and so I got called away and wound up narrating the Tuxosaurus shows in New York. So I only got to see one or two performances of the Bates Motel show, but uh, thank God we had the, uh, this wonderful video. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the girls who worked with us shot from up in the tech booth, and uh, it just recently reappeared in YouTube. Uh, I guess we'll post a link, but also if you, if you do a uh, Google search, just, or uh, sorry, YouTube search, it's just for Blues Brothers Beetlejuice, mm -hmm. you'll wind up coming to the video, and it uh, really turned out pretty good. Given that the Universal Studios Florida's Halloween Horror Nights became famous for its Bill and Ted Halloween adventures, um, but this, this show that you created, Ron, really creates the template for that. One of the things that it did especially well. I mean, again, you describe, uh, you know, the, the, the maniac being knifed in the chest by Norman Bates or being shot with a, a shotgun by Elwood Blues. But, but again, it's cartoon violence. In fact, that, that's the thing. That, that, you know, it's, it's very stylized, uh, you, know, you know, very cartoony. And in fact, uh, I, I love how you kind of settled on that moment. Can, can you talk about the, the search for the, the proper non sequitur? So uh, at some point we were, we were laying this thing out, we were blocking it, and I had the, uh, the shotgun, but I wanted something, to, something, I wanted to put a comic twist on the shotgun. Mm -hmm. um, it comes out of left field, totally Jake's got a shotgun in his hand, he's mm -hmm. going to blow this guy away. And I said, there has to be something that he's going to shout, something just before he shoots that is, uh, like I said, a non-sequitur. Mm -hmm. I called the cast together, and I said, we need something for him to shout here. And it should be a non-sequitur. It should be recognizable 
And, and of course, that's a, that's a great quote from the Chuck Jones cartoon, uh, Rabbit Seasoning. And, and and again, I just, but again, it, I love that it, it's a cartoon quote and helps set up the, the sort of cartoony feel, which of course, you know, because you got Beetlejuice in the mix series, you're halfway home anyway. But Speaking of, of, of great individual gags, can you please talk about, I mean, again, you mentioned at the top of this interview how you, you did some, some incidental writing on the, the one maze that they had up and running uh, for this, you know, the, the, the very first Fright Night. But again, they, and they constructed it in and around the queue of the Jaws, the ride over in Amity. And I, I think you mentioned that there, there was one particular uh, Universal employee who did, did an amazing job with the space. You know, the, uh, I'm blanking the name here, but uh, there we go. Uh, but you know, even then, though, it, it needed a button. It needed something to just put it over the top, and and so they came to you. Can, so can you talk about you know what the, the gag you settled on to sort of put the button on this one? Uh, well, Tim. Uh, Tim had done an amazing job. We didn't have an IP. It was all just uh, Tim doing research and, mm-hmm. and building something that was going to give the guests a uh, personal experience. Mm-hmm. The last room that you came into was a massive cage. You walked around the perimeter of this cage, mm-hmm. uh, very tight quarters. So you were very close to the people inside. Mm-hmm. And we had all the classic Universal monsters walking around. I even had somebody dressed up like Tim Seppielli with a cowboy duster and the cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to put something in there that was going to be uh, funny. Mm-hmm. And um, as Universal was always doing back then, we wanted to get a little dig in at the neighbors. So I had this very cute lady mm-hmm. who was dressed up in a little girl's outfit, wearing mouse ears, and carrying a mat to the Magic Kingdom. And she was wa- running around in this room with the strobe going and the music playing. And she would be asking the guests for directions Oh, that just kills me. Now, looking back at this first Fright Night, is is there anything else that sticks out to you about this particular event? The fact that it was completely us. Mm-hmm. It was all of us in Florida uh, working together to create something out of nothing, mm-hmm. out of plywood and costumes that we had and talent that we had and just dealing with it all creatively. Let's not forget, you wrote a second show for the first Fright Night. Can you talk a little bit about how you, you delivered on Jay Stein's request for a Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, I, he wanted some kind of scripted show in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you script a Chainsaw Massacre? Mm-hmm. I, so, so I thought to myself, I have to do something that has a beginning, middle, and end, something that's going to uh, be, be gross, uh, yet be funny, and uh, really surprise the audience. And it couldn't be... Couldn't be too big, so mm-hmm. I came up with this argument. It's happening between a husband and wife who are coming out of the Italian restaurant, and she's giving him a hard time, and she starts humiliating him in front of him. 
love that it's it's so dark and funny, but it, it, it plays on the audience's expectations. Anyway, Mr. Shiner, I could sit here all day and listen to the theme park history stories like this from you. And, and speaking of which, people are actually going to have the chance to do that relatively soon. You've got an event coming up? Uh, yes. On uh, this October 12th and 13th, uh, Retro Magic is the event uh, from the Retro Walt Disney World people. Uh, the event that we're having on Saturday night to see uh, uh, the new Epcot the Lagoon Show mm-hmm. is already sold out, but on Sunday, the 13th, at the Contemporary Resort, we've got a day full of guest speakers. Uh, there are tickets still available for that. We've got uh, Bob Gurr, we've got uh, Rolly Crump, we have Tom Nabby, the Tom Sawyer from Disneyland. Um, I'm going to be talking about uh, Dreamfinder and Mickey's Birthday Land. Uh, we've got a whole day of music and memories with all these wonderful people. Tom Morris is going to be speaking. And uh, if you go to uh, the Retro WDW website or just uh, Google Retro Magic, you get to the site and tickets are still available for the event. That sounds like I can't miss. Thank you so much for making the time today to talk to us about the very first Friday night. Thank you, Jim. Wasn't that great? These are the exact sorts of stories that Dustin and I intend to share with event attendees who take part in our Holidays at Universal event, which is going to be held this year on site there, uh, November 15th through the 18th. Now, over the course of this four-day-long event, we're going to be taking theme park fans on a walking tour of Universal Studios Florida and Universal Studios Islands Adventure. Uh, We're going to be doing seasonal-specific stuff, like taking part in a presentation of Universal's Holiday Parade featuring Macy's, not to mention taking in a performance of Grinchmas Holiday Spectacular over at Islands. Dustin and I will also be sharing all sorts of behind-the-scenes stories about the creation of the Universal Lander Resort. Plus, you're going to get to sit in on a live recording of the Universal Joint Podcast. So how's this? If you tweet the keyword Elwood, we just picked up that keyword off the uh, the great Universal Fright Night story that Rob Schneider just shared with Jim. Tweet that keyword, Elwood, to at Jim Hill Media as a direct message. We will then enter you into a drawing for a three-night stay for two people at the Low Sapphire Falls Resort at Universal Orlando for the Universal Joint Experience, the, uh, the podcast event that we're doing from November 15th through until the 18th. Now, please be certain it's a direct message to at Jim Hill Media. Otherwise, you won't be entered in this drawing. Now, please note that the winner is responsible for their own travel accommodation. So you have to pay for your flight down yep. there. Uh, more importantly, none of this would be possible without the help of the kind folks at Storybook Destinations. So please head over to storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish where you can learn even more about what we've got planned for this on-site event, which again is being held November 15th through the 18th. The drawing for this contest will be held Wednesday, October 16th, which is just around the corner. We'll tweet our lucky winner who will then be awarded tickets to the parks and a hotel room for the length of the Universal Joint event, plus entry into all of the tours and the live podcast. All they'll have to do is find their own way down to Universal Orlando Resort. Now, the official rules for this contest are posted over at jimhillmedia.com. If you have any technical questions about the contest, and again, the keyword for today's show is Elwood. And uh, speaking of seasonal shows at Universal Park, geez, Dustin, we did it again. 
We got Ron Schneider to talk about the very first Fright Night at Universal Orlando, but never once talked about any of the mazes of the scare zones that can be found at this year's event. I guess we'll have to cover that on the next edition of the Universal Joint Podcast. But until that show goes live, where else can folks find you online? So I'm over at uh, StepsToMagic.com. It's Universal and Disney trip planning advice and ideas and things you can do while you're down at Walt Disney World and Universal. I also have a, a another podcast. So it's the We Like Theme Parks podcast. Basically just a, a, a few guys getting together and talking about how they like theme parks. So that's where I'm at. And uh, I know that you're up to, what, seven, eight, 276 mm-hmm. podcasts on your end? <laughs> I think at this point what's the same number as pie <laughs> got disney dish with lentesto we got fine-tuning with drew taylor we got looking at lucasfilm mm-hmm. with dan zayer the marvelous disney show which is i do with aaron adams and uh we're also doing our i want that show which is about disney merch which given that we're just a couple of days away from triple force friday that show is going to be long <laughs> Yep. Anyway, uh, speaking of shows, folks, if you could do myself and Dustin a favor here, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our shows, that helps us get additional eyeballs. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what we do here, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And I guess for now, that will do it, Dustin. Though, again, we, we have to get back together soon and get that, that Halloween Horror Night show, reco- show recorded before... This season ends, so... Yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. All right, well, we'll till then, folks. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network. <laughs>